this journey, we're not shooting in the dark to try to figure out where we're going. That was one thing that I appreciated so much when I was involved with CSOC as a student, is that I'm around a group of believers that are journeying towards a specific destination. I'm not around a group of aimless believers, but I'm around a group of believers that are filled with purpose and filled with drive, and they know where they're going, and they want to take me with me. And we'll see that destination here tonight. But with the journey, you always have a beginning. There's a certain course laid out with ups and downs and certain specific experiences that go along with that journey. And, of course, every journey ends in a destination. So that's what we're getting into tonight. And what's awesome is that the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, clearly lays out this journey that the Lord has ordained for his chosen people. And so if we can pull up the first slide, please. I want to show you guys these verses. These are important. This is Paul the Apostle writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And what he's going to tell them is that those things that happened with the children of Israel, they're actually a picture, a symbol, or a foreshadowing of what we as the New Testament believers, should experience spiritually. So we're going to be looking at some things that happened historically with the children of Israel, but Paul in these verses are going to say, hey, those things that happened to the children of Israel, that should happen to us, except it should be a spiritual reality to us. So let's look at these verses. Okay. This is Paul. He starts with, For I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, that all, our fa- all of our fathers, the fathers there is the children of Israel, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea. And all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. Verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to us. The gaps you have between the third verse there and verse 6 It's just some more listings of what happened to the children of Israel. And Paul says, these are examples to us. These foreshadow of what we should experience experientially. You keep going down. And what's happening in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, Paul continues to list specific experiences of the children of Israel. And then what does he say again? Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our admonition. So Paul's saying, what happened to those guys We need to experience that, but yet in the way of it being a spiritual reality for us. And that's how we're going to be looking at Exodus. And in Exodus, we'll see the wonderful journey God has ordained for us to start on and continue on. And hopefully, before our lifetime, arrive at the final destination. So before we get into Exodus specifically, we're going to take a quick look at Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 begins, oh, it's a wonderful beginning. So high, so rich. In 126, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. That's a glorious beginning. You have a corporate man there having God's image and likeness and God giving this man dominion to exercise his authority, his authority over all the earth. Wonderful. But the ending of Genesis is far from that. Far from that. Does anybody know how Genesis ends? Anybody? Does anybody want to venture a guess? It's kind of hard. You just wouldn't just... Somebody's on their deathbed, right? Close. Close. 
Can anybody pull up the last verse in Genesis? The ending is way different than how it begins. Uh, pull, pull up the last verse. Close, you're close. That's the beginning of Exodus. Yes, okay. Who has the. Somebody read the verse. Yes, somebody's in a coffin. Somebody's in a coffin. That's not good. Okay. Can somebody read the verse to add some more details about this person in a coffin? I got it. Okay, stand up and read it to us loud, please, Reese. And Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Yeah, you got a dead man in a coffin in Egypt. That's how Genesis ends. Such a contrast to how Genesis began. So, Genesis being the first book of the Bible, ending in such a pitiful situation. Dead man in a coffin in Egypt. Sounds like, man, we got to get out of that situation. We need an exit out of that situation. And thank goodness the next book in the Bible is actually called Exit. It's actually called Exit. Why is it called Exit? Because we need to get out of being in a situation where we're dead in a coffin in Egypt. And so what you have here, the children of the situation, the children of Israel in Egypt, they begin with being enslaved in Egypt. You see that in the first point. Enslaved in Egypt. And Egypt in the Bible signifies the world. Signifies the world. Now let me give you a definition of the world, okay? This is really, really good. We need to know this. The world is Satan's system that usurps God's chosen people and preoccupies them so that they have no time for God and no time for God's purpose. I'm going to read that one more time. Satan's system that usurps God's chosen people and preoccupies them so that they have no time for God and no time for God's purpose. And so this picture of enslavement is typified by the children of Israel's situation in Egypt. Now you may think, okay, I'm not enslaved. I'm out of my parents' house now. I'm in college and I can make my own decisions. What you mean? I'm not in any bondage. Okay. Just want to present a couple of scenarios to you guys. All right. Saturday night, you've been hanging out with your friends, whatever, you get back to the dorm, you're just like trying to chill. And so you uh, click on Netflix, right? Saturday night, just like, I'm just going to just mellow out here, watch this next season, boom, 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 okay, cool, cool, alright, it's time for the next episode to come on, alright, it's not that late, I'm cool, man, I got church in the morning, it's all good, next season, and then it's just like, every episode, every episode is just like a cliffhanger, and you just can't stop pressing the play button, how do I know this, because it's happened to me, and y'all are laughing because you know it's happened to you, Keep hitting that play. Keep hitting that play. Keep hitting that play. Next thing you know, it's 4 a.m. And you got to get up at 9 because you've got church service in the morning. And you crash out finally. And that alarm goes off at 9. And what do you do? You roll over and you hit snooze. You get in text, blowing up, hey, I'm here to come pick you up. Uh, silent on the phone. Snooze. You toss the phone. You're tired of it vibrating in your ear. What was that hold on you that, that caused the play button? Keep going and going and going. 
what was it about that? Why, why couldn't you just put the remote away, go to bed on time, so you can wake up on time the next day and be with God and his people? What was that entanglement? What was that stronghold? Every episode was a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, man. That is a, that's a picture of the world. That's a picture of how we can be enslaved by the daily things in our life. That's an example, okay? Well, we need to get out of that situation. Because God has a desire. And his desire is accomplished in time. And his desire is accomplished when he has the cooperation of his people that give him the time to allow him to do the things that he wants to do. So we don't want the world usurping all of our time. But we want to have time for God and God's purpose. So if you look at these verses here in Exodus 1, 13 and 14, it says, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with harshness, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and in brick, and in all kinds of labor in the field, all their labor with which they made them serve was with harshness. This is a picture of the world. Labor, harshness, bondage, all your time is used up. And there's no time for God and God's purpose. And all of us to some degree, we're enslaved by something. But we're on a journey to get freed up for God and God's purpose. So this was the situation with the children of Israel. Thank the Lord. God did something. He came to redeem and save his people. Let's read Exodus 12, 27. Ready, go. You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to Jehovah, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when we smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed down worship. Okay. So what you have here is God's judgment is upon all of Egypt, even the children of Israel, God's chosen people. His judgment is upon them, but he wants to redeem his people. So what he does, he says, take a lamb, one year old, without spot, without blemish, slay that lamb, put that lamb's blood on the doorpost, go into the house, and when the death angel passes over you, You'll see the blood, and then God's judgment won't come on you, but it'll pass over you. Hit the word, pass over. And so, let's go to the next slide here. Look at John 1.29. This is John the Baptist speaking. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the reality of this lamb that was slain in Exodus is the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood. And when we believe in him and what he's done, that is applied to us, and God's judgment passes over us. It's wonderful to escape God's judgment because of the precious, redeeming blood of the Lamb of God. But we still got to get out. We still got to get out of Egypt. And if you remember the story, um, Egypt, they experienced God's judgment. God kills the firstborn of man and beast. And Pharaoh's like, you got to get out of here. you got to get out of here. Finally let you go. And so the Israelites, they begin journeying. But Pharaoh changes his mind and starts chasing after them. And they end up um, in a rock in a hard place. they got the sea in front of them. And they got Pharaoh and his army coming in on them. And But God, what he does in order to save them out of Egypt is he sovereignly arranges a huge 
baptistry. The Red Sea was a huge baptistry so that God could save his people out of Egypt. Let's look at this verse right here, Exodus 14.30. Thus, Jehovah saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. So, you have Israel. They're rocking a hard place. Pharaoh's army's coming. God tells them to move forward. And he says, Moses, dip your staff into the Red Sea. And what happened? The waters parted. Children of Israel go in. Pharaoh and, Pharaoh and his armies chase after them. Two parties went in, but only one party went out. And let's look at the verse here. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he who does not believe shall be condemned. The blood from the Lamb of God was perfect enough to save us from God's condemnation, from God's judgment. But we see here, baptism, our believing in our baptism also saves us. And looking at this picture with the children of Israel, baptism saves us from all the strongholds that the world tries to keep us back from being in a place where we can be for God and for God's purpose. And so with the picture in Exodus, God is just, he's just awesome. He prepares a huge baptistry. The Israelites went in, Pharaoh and his armies went in, but the result was that the children of Israel, they entered into a new realm. And Pharaoh and his chariots, they were dead upon the seashore. That's what happens when we get baptized. We enter a new realm and where we walk in newness of life. And Pharaoh and all his chariots, they're dead upon the seashore. That's wonderful. But God, he wants to keep going. We've got a journey that we're on. We've got to get to the destination. And so what needs to happen next is that we need to be led by the Lord in the wilderness. We've been enslaved, but we've been redeemed and saved. And we need to be led by the Lord. And the children of Israel led by the Lord in the wilderness. And if you look at these verses right here, Exodus 13, 21 and 22, it says, And Jehovah went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them on the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may go by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night departed from before the people. Underline pillar of cloud to lead. And underline pillar of fire. So with the children of Israel in the wilderness, they had a solid leading of God's presence. Real solid. A pillar is something solid. And during the day, they were led by a pillar of cloud. And in the night, they were led by a pillar of fire. How does this relate to us? Let's go to the next verses, please. This is Romans 8.14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Look back at your verse here, Exodus 13.21. Jehovah went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. But as New Testament believers, what's leading us? Who's leading us? The Spirit of God. So it's wonderful. In, our, in a spiritual daytime, everything's so bright, everything's so vibrant. We really feel the Lord's life flowing in us. It's a spiritual day. We're just enjoying the Spirit within our human spirit, leading us on our Christian life. But sometimes we encounter, man, we just, we're going through a rough time in our Christian life. Everything seems kind of dark. I just feel stuff weighing down on me. Lord, where are you at? Well, thank the Lord. We have the pillar of fire tonight. 
See this, what is this in Jeremiah 23, 29? Is not my word thus like fire, declares Jehovah, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. So it's wonderful. In a spiritual day, we got the Spirit of God leading yeah, us. Yeah, right. In our spiritual night, we got the word, it's the fire to burn brightly in the night to continue God's leading in us for our furtherance on our Christian journey. Isn't that wonderful? It's good we have the spirit and the word. But as God's leading them, he needs to provide for them. He's got to give them something to eat. He's got to give them something to drink. So wonderful. Our Father God is so generous and he generously supplied his people. So in point number four here, we have supplied by manna and water flowing from the rock. Okay, now I want to ask you guys something. We're going to go a little deeper here, okay? Outwardly, you look at the situation with the children of Israel. God feeds them by giving them manna. And then he gives them to drink out of this rock that's flowing this water. Okay, that's what's happening outwardly. But what's, what's the deeper meaning? What's the intrinsic significance of these people eating this food that God's providing them and drinking this water that God's provided them? What's the intrinsic significance? just want you to think about that. Okay, are you thinking about it? Okay, you're probably not going to see this coming. Like, I didn't see this coming when it was shared with me, but it's really good. Are you ready? Okay, think about it. The children of Israel have been in Egypt a long time. Long, long time. God had just redeemed them and saved them so that they're now out of Egypt. But here's the situation. Even though God's people are out of Egypt, Egypt is not out of them. Because they've been consuming the Egyptian diet. And they were living, breathing, walking Egyptians. So what is God's solution? He's going to give them food and he's going to give them drink. Not from an earthly source, but from a heavenly source. So that they can be reconstituted as God's people. What we eat and what we drink make up the very fibers of our being. God had a bunch of Egyptians on our hands. He had to get the world out of them. How am I going to get this Egyptian element out of them? I'm going to feed them with the heavenly food and, I give them, and I'm going to give them to drink of some heavenly water to reconstitute them to be a heavenly people. Have you ever considered God being a dietitian? <laughs> He wants to put us all on a very specific diet. A diet of manna and a diet of living water to reconstitute us as his heavenly people. Let's look at the next set of verses here. Okay, this is regarding the manna in John 6. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven that anyone may eat of it and not die. This is the Lord. I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. So the picture of the man here with the children of Israel is pointing to Christ as our real food. He's the real manna. And Paul here in 1 Corinthians 10, 4 says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, talking about the children of Israel. For they drank of a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Isn't that good? Yes. We need to eat and drink Christ. As this wonderful heavenly diet, as our wonderful dietitian God is providing us every day 
to reconstitute us as his Amen. heavenly people. Amen. So the Exodus verses here under this point, you just have God raining bread down from heaven, supplying them. This is called manna. In Exodus 17, you have the rock there that's smitten. And then out of this rock flows living water for the people to drink. So God wants to keep moving, though. He wants to keep moving. And so the next stage that God brings them to is the stage of receiving revelation at Mount Sinai. And God brought them to this mountain. And the first thing that God reveals to his chosen people, the Israelites, he gives them the Ten Commandments. Okay, here's, the, here's what's intrinsic about the Ten Commandments, okay? If I ask any of you to write some laws for a country, those laws would directly reflect who you are. And so, prior to this, God had been very mysterious to his people. But in giving them the law, God was giving them a picture of himself. This is what I look like. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm full of love. I'm full of light. This is who I am. So the children of Israel received a revelation of who God was when God brought them to the mountain. They also received a revelation of a certain kind of living that God desires of his people that would match and correspond to who God is. But here's a big point. This is the third thing that they saw. They received a revelation of the desire of God's heart. The desire of God's heart. Let's look at this verses here in Exodus 25, 8 and 9. I think we all need to read this together. It's good to read the word of yes. God together. Let's read this together. Ready, go. Take your pen, and you have to circle for me. For me. Let them make a sanctuary for me. The for me is a part of the journey, my brothers and sisters. We need to come to this point. You consider all the things that God has done up to this point. They were in a pitiful situation in Egypt. God redeemed and saved them out of that pitiful situation. He led them by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. He supplied them. Boom, 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 boom. Manna, living water every day. He met every need that they had. God has done so much for the children of Israel. And you think about this. God has done so much in your life and in my life. But eventually, our heart needs to have a change in direction. The Lord needs to gain ground in us where eventually um, we're not just like, Lord, give me peace in this exam. Lord, what about that class I'm on the wait list on? Lord, what about protecting me today? All those are good and we all start there. And the Lord cares for our every concern. But we need to make progress to where eventually the desire that's in God's heart is put And it becomes the desire in our heart. We need to be a for me, God. For me, people. And what he desires, the deep longing in his heart, is a sanctuary, a dwelling place. And specifically in Exodus, it was a tabernacle where he could dwell among his people. 
God wants a place to call home. Now, we're going to look at a verse here. Can we go to the next slide, please? This is Isaiah 66, one. This verse shows us that God wasn't satisfied with just a tabernacle that was built in Exodus. This is what he says. Thus says Jehovah, heaven is my throne and the earth the footstool for my feet. Where then is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? You see it? Perfect correspondence. Exodus 25, 8. Let them make a sanctuary. That's the house right there. For me. For me. Of course, this verse is spoken by the Lord much later after Exodus. Much later after, erecting of, after the erecting of the tabernacle. So this is what he's longing for. And this, I hope, this deep longing that's been in God's heart since eternity past, before there was time, before there was space, this longing that actually was the driving force for time and space so that this can be a scenario, this can be the realm in which God will carry out his purpose to obtain what's been on his heart for such a long time. And he wants us to be involved. And that's why we need to be in a position eventually on this journey where God has done so much, but there's a turn. And the turn is that, Lord, I'm open for you to open your heart to me and show me what you want. You want a dwelling place. And God, I'm tired of living for myself. You've got to show me something that will capture me. Show, me. show me something that I can give my life to. Show me the meaning of the universe, which is the desire of your heart. The sanctuary for me. If you touch the for me, you will never be the same. That's one reason I'm doing what I'm doing. It's because to some degree, I've touched the for me. And I've had brothers and sisters help me touch the for me. And there'll be brothers and sisters in this group that'll help you see and touch the for me, the sanctuary, the dwelling place of God. And Exodus ends in a very marvelous way. It ends in the building of the tabernacle. We see this in Exodus 39, 32. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that Jehovah had commanded Moses. So they did. Genesis ends terrible. Dead man in a coffin in Egypt. Exodus ends glorious. The building up of the tabernacle. And when that tabernacle gets built up, you can look at it in Exodus 40. The glory of Jehovah fills that tabernacle. And God is so happy to dwell amidst his people. But again, that was just a picture. That was just a sign of a spiritual reality today. So we're going to move on to our last verse here, Ephesians 2.22. In whom, that's the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. This is what the Lord wants to do with us. When he has us built up together, according to the point of his evaluation where, yes, I'm satisfied, he'll come back and he will be glorified in his saints. He'll fill the church in glory and he'll come back in glory and the Lord will establish his kingdom and righteousness will reign. But we need to be built up into a dwelling place of God in spirit. So this is the journey that we see in Exodus. And we all want to be on this journey. It's laid out for us, point blank, enslaved, redeemed and saved, led, supplied, receiving revelation, building the tabernacle, 
So I hope all of us can be on this journey. And by tonight, we can say, I'm continuing on this journey, or at least my journey has started. That's what we want to be able to say tonight. I have started the Christian journey that the Lord has ordained. And may he strengthen me to walk faithfully on it till I reach my destination. Do this in us, Lord. So what we're going to do now, we're going to pray. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray short phrases, and I want you to repeat after me. God is awesome. He's laid out the journey for us, and we need to be on that journey. And how we start that journey is we just talk to the Lord, and we're going to tell him, Lord, I want to start the journey, and I want to be on the journey. Okay? So we're going to speak to Jesus with an open heart in a very genuine way. And I'm going to pray short sentences, and you're going to repeat after me, okay? So everybody bow their heads. Dear God, I praise you. Dear God, I praise you. Thank you for the journey that you've laid out for me. Thank you for the journey that you've laid out for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for dying and shedding your blood for me. Thank you for dying and shedding your blood for me. Thank you for being raised from the dead. Thank you for being raised from the dead. Forgive me of my sins, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sins, Lord Jesus. I want to be on the journey you have for me. I want to be on the journey you have for me. Come into me, Lord Jesus. Come into me, Lord Jesus. Strengthen me to be on this journey. Strengthen me to be on this journey. Lord Jesus, I love you and I praise you. Lord Jesus, I love you and I praise you. In your name I pray, amen. In your name I pray, amen. All right. That was good, huh? It's good to talk to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to pass it to Connor, and he's going to segue. What's up? And you're going to pass it to Reese. All right, Reese, come on 